All right, let's open our Bibles, uh, John, the Gospel of John chapter 10, please. Gospel of John chapter 10, please. And a little bit of review from last week, you know, we talked about Jesus. Well, we always talk about Jesus, right? I think if we don't, we're, are, we are in trouble. If we don't talk about the scripture, I, was, I heard, uh, I heard uh, somebody on the radio the other day, if, if you're not opening up the Bible, if you're not in, you know, in the Word of God at a church, you're, there's something wrong there. Something missing that's crucial, very crucial. So, but we talked about Jesus anyways being our shepherd and that, that he is not only our shepherd, but he's also the gate. He's the gate into the family. We know, we know in John 14, 6, he said that he was the way, the truth and the life. And keep that in mind when we're going to look at the life today. So he, Jesus said some of these things, you know, that the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep, uh, you know, he calls his own sheep by name. It's a very personal thing. He says that he said that he leads his sheep. The shepherd would lead the sheep. He goes on ahead of them. And it also says that the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They recognize his voice. And that's very, very important. And for you and I, as sheep, we have a shepherd. His name is Jesus. And we need to be able to recognize his voice and hear him and follow him. So uh, let's look at verse 9, first of all. John chapter 10, verse 9 gives us a little bit of context to what we're going to talk about today. Jesus said, I am the gate, in verse 9. He said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. We see here Jesus again, he says it twice. He says that he is the gate, he's the way in, he's the door. And whoever enters through him will be saved. There's no you know, other way, there's no you know." five different ways, ten different ways, no other way to get in except through Jesus Christ. And he made that very, very clear, and as I mentioned in John 14, 6. Now, he is speaking, we've got to keep in mind here that he is speaking, and in front of him were a bunch of people, and some of them were these religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, uh, some of them were Pharisees, this religious group who who had uh, places of leadership. And Jesus is saying, you know, that, that he becomes very connected with his sheep and, and, and they hear his voice, they know his voice, but, but he's, he's trying to say, and he, and he goes on here now, and, he, and he's been speaking already as well, that there were also strangers, there were thieves. There were robbers, and those... And, and, and he's kind of pointedly speaking about those people that were right in front of him. The Pharisees, these teachers, these ones who they were adamant that Jesus was not going to be someone they would deal with. They just said, no way, we don't want anything to do with you. In fact, we're going to get rid of you. And that's what they did in the end, or at least they tried to, right? Of course, he had a different plan. Now, contrast these Pharisees, these religious leaders, between them and Jesus, which we've also done before in chapter 9. 
in, in previous sections, but there's a huge contrast of very different agendas. So you, if you look at verse 10 now, which is the verse we're going to look at today, verse 10, it says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. Very different agendas. The thief had an agenda, but Jesus had an agenda as well, but it was a very different kind of agenda. One, Jesus, speaking about Jesus first, he's the shepherd, he's the door by which people could come to God and they could find life and they could find freedom and they could find protection and provision that Jesus would take care of them. He's the shepherd. But the Jewish leaders, they had a whole nother thing happening. Instead of leading people to God, they would exploit them and oppress them. So the biggest difference is this. One group came to take. One group wanted to take from the sheep, and the other wanted to what? Give to the sheep, and that's Jesus. Very big difference, very huge difference. So we're going to look at the thief first. We're going to talk about the thief first because uh, that is what Jesus talks about here first. Interesting, this word uh, thief uh, is the word kleptes. You recognize that? That's the, the noun, the, Greek, the, the verb is klepto. Right? I hope there's no kleptos in here today. But what a thief would do is he would take something that doesn't belong to him. And that's what these leaders, they wanted to take things that did not belong to them. And, and really, you know, as a, an under-shepherd is what they were supposed to be, they were taking care of God's sheep. Or that's what they should have been doing, but they wanted to take it all for themselves. Their emphasis is, is, is what they could get. Notice it says there that, that this is what the thief does. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He doesn't really have any motive, doesn't really care about the sheep. We've seen that over and over. He didn't really care about the man born blind, which you know, didn't care about him as a person. But, that, but they would steal, they would kill, they would destroy. There are two views now. Some of you may be asking the question, well, who is the thief? There are really two views, common views, and maybe more, but the two main ones. One is that the, the thief is these ones that were right in front of them, the false teachers. These false uh, leaders who had a, a whole system that they had devised, and, and we see it in the world today. The second view is what? Satan. Satan. Right. Now, for a long period of time, uh, well, for a period of time, I should say, many equated the, th the thief to be Satan. But when you study the passage and you read it, the context really points to the leaders that were there in front of him. It's very important we don't just take a verse and, and put what we want onto it. You see, this is a little bit about what I'm going to talk about in terms of the thieves. We don't just take a verse out of its context and say, well, this is what that means. 
That's when we start to get into trouble. That's what they were doing and some people do. Now, the context really speaks to those and points to those that were right in front of these Pharisees, these teachers, and these religious leaders. But you say, and you think about it, and one of the reasons why, it, you know, why this came to be a, a widely held view is that Satan surely is behind these others. Right? Jesus said back in chapter 8 that, that Satan was a murderer. From the beginning, and you go back and read Genesis chapter 3, that's what he did. He brought death. Peter said that, that you know, your enemy, he said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking. He wants to destroy. He wants to devour. He's happy about rejecting Jesus. He's happy about false teaching. He's happy about false system. This is Satan. But but Jesus wasn't specifically speaking of him here. So again, we need to think about how the the context develops and who is he talking to and and what is he trying to say? How is he trying to warn these people that were in front of him that did care to watch out for those that were in front of him who did not care. Personally, I don't like to give the devil any more credit than he deserves. I don't underestimate him. I don't think any of, any of us should underestimate him. But to give him credit where he doesn't deserve it, there's, you know, I, I don't think we should do that. You know, there, there's so many... So many times, you know, we think that, you know, the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that, and, you know, the devil is kind of like behind every bush. You know, he's hiding behind this and hiding behind that and, and, and giving him all kinds of credit that he doesn't even deserve. He is a limited being. He is not all-powerful. He is not, you know, omnipresent. He's not, not, he's not like just the you know, the dark side of who God is. He's a limited, created being. He, he has only so much. And he can only do, with God's permission, what he is allowed to do. So, think, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, Satan, he's got a big plan, and he's working it out, and he works through people too. But Jesus is talking about these false teachers here, those who would take, those who wanted to, you know, get for themselves. Personal profit. And, and, and I hate to say, and I have to say this, though, and, and, and as we talk about this, that, it, that is happening today. We have these faith teachers, right? Quote, unquote. And, and, and their whole thing is wrapped up in what they can get. And some of them are, you know, have, you know, three or four private jets. I only have one. But you have these evangelists, and, and, and that it's all about what they can do, what they can get. These word of faith people, the health and wealth, the prosperity, the new apostles. And Jesus is saying, I believe, and I think we see throughout the Bible, to watch out. You need to watch out. You need to pay attention here. Peter said it there in 2 Peter 2. He said there were also false prophets among the people. People just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, 
even, and get this, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, even denying Jesus Christ. And, and these destructive heresies, these false prophets, false teachers, and, and, and they're, they're alive and well on the planet Earth today, just as they were in Peter's day. Watch out. I found an interesting article by a guy named Chalice, and he, and he talked about these different kinds of you know, false teachers in the church today. He gave these kind of categories, and I'll just quickly go through them. The first one is heretic, and, and the heretic is, is really a person who teaches what it blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. He just goes off. He just blatantly, it's just complete heresy. But let me ask you this, how would you know it's heresy? You need to know what the Word says. You need to know what the Bible says, or you're not going to know it's heresy. Some guy comes along and says, whoa, yeah, this is really cool, and and tells you all this stuff. And if you don't know what the Bible says, he says that the heretic leads his followers from the safety of orthodoxy or, or solid scripture to the peril of heresy. We have cults that have done that. There are cults around today, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and uh, various other cults who just specifically, you know, heretically go apart from the Scripture. How about the charlatan? He says that the charlatan is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet. He uses Christianity as a means of personal enrichment what he can put in. There are people like that around today. Uh, guys like Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, you know, there, there's loads of them out there. You've got to be careful. Watch out when they start saying, can you send? Can you give? Can you? I need. This ministry won't go on unless you give. Now, ministries do need support. Yeah. But when it becomes, you know, you've got to, you know, sign over this to us and and do all these things, it's pretty scary. I I was watching an interview by uh, a guy who is the nephew of Benny Hinn, who has since left. He was was very involved in it and, you know, right there in the middle of all of it. And he's since left that. But he said, you know, they would go to these places to do these crusades or whatever, and they would have suites that were $25,000 a night. $25,000 a night. Something wrong there. How about the prophet? And again, there's a lot here, and I understand that, I'm going to try to go a little quick here, but the prophet is, we see that a lot today where you have these guys who, you know, they claim to be gifted by God to have this special you know, word from God, even though it goes above and beyond what the Bible says, they've got this authoritative position and they, they speak these words, the new prophets. Watch out. When you see someone saying, well, I've got this new word, watch out. Joseph Smith, he proclaimed himself to be a prophet. How about the abuser? That's someone who uses his or her position of leadership to take advantage of other people, and and usually it's some form of lust. Watch out. Divider, some that that come along and divide the church. 
I think this next one, I'll, I'll finish with this, is the tickler. I think that's probably the most prevalent. We have all those others happening today, but this is probably the most prevalent one. And this is the one who comes along, doesn't really care what God wants and what the Word says, but, but it's all about what people want to hear. It's all about, you know, tickling the itching ears. This guy said this, he preaches an empty gospel to a packed out church. Some of the largest churches, in fact, the largest church in America today is a church like that. Not much Bible, a whole lot of, you know, self stuff and psychobabble and a whole lot of other things getting, you know, put across and people just flocking there. There's something going on there. So we, we have been warned repeatedly. We've been warned. Jesus was sp- saying here that, you know, there are these kinds of leaders and, and their, their motivation is to steal, to get, to kill, to destroy, to not to do something good. I want you to turn ahead to the next book, Acts chapter 17. I want you to know where this verse is. I want you, if you have a pen, you can even underline it. I think this is important in what it says in in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul and Silas, they went to this place called Berea. Paul was on a missionary journey. This is the Apostle Paul. And it says in verse 11, Acts 17, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. They had previously been in Thessalonica. They were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. That's good. But look what it also says. And examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They didn't just accept it at face value. If somebody, just because someone gets up in front of a church or in front of a group and starts speaking, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is, is necessarily right or true. So they would go home and they would search the scriptures to see, is it really there? Is it biblical? That's something you and I need to do. But again, we talked a, a number of weeks back in Acts chapter 8 that we need to be in the Word. Every one of us as a believer, if we're truly a a disciple, Jesus said, if you really are my disciples, you'll stay in my word, you'll listen to my word, you will stay in my teaching. And the truth, and you'll what? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from false leaders, from false doctrine, from false prophets. So, that's the first side of it now. Jesus speaking about the thief. But again, I don't want to spend so much time on the thief that we don't have enough time to spend on who? On Jesus, right? Because he had a, again, his plan is completely different. It's, a, it's an incredible plan, right? So I'm going to change that dark, ugly-looking slide to what Jesus said he came to do. That's what, that's what we need to focus on. You know, you've, you've heard the illustration where, you know, for the, for the people at the banks to know if it's, counterfeit or not, they, they handle the real thing. They don't just deal with, 
with counterfeit, but they handle the real thing. And, 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 and we, we need to spend a lot of time with Jesus knowing what, what he's trying to say so that, so that when we hear something that's weird, the red light goes off. Like, that's weird. That, that sounds like heresy. That's some kind of other stuff. Now, there is no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor, no perfect teacher. And, and you, know, I, I, you know, I'm still learning and growing, and, and, and God forbid that I would teach any kind of weird heresy or anything like that. But as long as we're focusing on the Word of God, that's what matters. So Jesus said here, and focusing on, on Jesus, of course, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. That's incredible. Jesus came to bring us life, not to kill us. He didn't, you know, come to beat us down. Some churches you go to, that's what it kind of feels like. Anybody ever been to a church like that? You say, well, I'm feeling like that right now. No. I hope not. Jesus came to give. He didn't come to take. He came to give. He didn't come for himself. He came for you. He came for me. He came for the sheep. It says that he has come, and, and, and he has come, and he, once and for all, he came to bring us this life, that we might have this life. Now, does anybody know what the word life in the Greek language is? I've asked you this before, and I've told you before, but I'm just checking to see if you remember. <laughs> Begins with a Z. Zoe. Zoe. People pronounce, name their kids that, that. They say Zoe, right? It's really Zoe. So it's this word life. He says, I've come to bring you and to give you that you might have life. And that... And the, and the kind of the word that he's using, it, it, it's, a, it's a, like a tense of possibility, a potential that you could have life, that you could have it right now. I like what the, the uh, Blue Letter Bible defined this word. He says, he says this life, real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed life. I think when we look at these words that Jesus is saying, I think it comes through that it's not just for the future, right? Eternal life, right? Well, you know, I'm going to go to heaven and that's when I'm really going to start living. But between now and then, you know, this is kind of like not very nice. I think he's talking about now. Of course, it's going to be much better in the future, and when we do get to heaven, it's going to be much, much better, right? It's got to be. And that's why he says, you know, we just see through a glass darkly, you know, it's kind of cloudy, we kind of get a picture now, but we are going to see face to face then, and it's going to, that's going to be complete life. But even here and now, though, I think he wants to know, he wants us to know, he wants us to have life. Pastor Chuck said that, that Jesus came, he came to earth over 2,000 years ago, and he says that, that nothing has had a greater impact on man's history. He says, why did he come? Why would he leave heaven? Why would he come to be despised and rejected by men? He came to bring us life. He came to give. 
to you and to me life. But notice it says up there, not just life, does it? It says abundant life. Abundant life. It says in the NIV, have it to the full. That word for abundant is a word that means this, super abundant, exceeding abundantly, over and above, further, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, remarkable, more excellent. What do you have to say about that? That's what I wrote down. Wow. That's what Jesus said. I want you to have that kind of life. This is what I came to give you. The word is used, that same word is used in Ephesians 3.20 where we, we've heard this verse before. It says, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You know that verse, right? The same word. So Jesus says, I came to give you exceeding, exceedingly abundantly above this kind of life. Say, where are we going now? We're, 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 are we heading into the prosperity teaching right now? Is that where this heretic is going? Stay with me. Just a few more minutes here. Leon Morris, a commentator, though, he, he, he talked about the Christian life. And he says, is it this cramped, this limited, don't do this, don't do that kind of life? And I'll add to that, a sour life baptized in lemon juice? Is that the kind of life that he wants us to have? But is that the kind of life that some of us do have? And some churches have? The answer is, that's not what Jesus wants. Leon Morris goes on to say that Christian life is an exuberant affair full of the joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, though there are difficult times and troubles for the believer, he says that's just part of the deal. But, he, but, but this life that has been given to us outweighs all those other things. Or it should. Another had the question, abundant life? Is it wealth and prestige and position and power? Is that what abundant life is? Some would, would very openly teach that that is what abundant life is. That you, each, every, each and every one of you, should be driving. Put in your favorite car there. I was sitting in the cell, uh, cell phone waiting lot. Last night, waiting uh, for my wife's parents, I, which I want to recognize today. They're here visiting with us, Ron and Lena, back. But I was looking across, and there was a lawyer's office, and right in front of it was this beautiful red Porsche. Now, I, we either have to increase the offerings, or I need to become a lawyer. You know, is that, is that, then I can say, I'm really living now. 
You know what that would do for me? That would just give me a huge case of proud. Driving along, you know. (laughs) See me in my Porsche. Now, I'm not against having nice cars, and maybe someday I'll get one. Maybe not. But what I'm saying is that that's not, that's not the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here. Really, what, what I think he's talking about in John chapter 17, it says these words, he uses that word zoe, eternal zoe. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have son. He gives us a definition. And again, it wasn't something in the future, but it's something now. This life that we have is really based on a relationship. It's based on a relationship of knowing the Father and the Son, having a relationship with Him, growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus. That's the, the basis, the foundation of abundant life. It is way deeper than just that I'm happy or that I have a lot of stuff or I'm never sick or I'm successful. I think it's way deeper than that. Do you? Abundant life is something that's inside of us. It's inside. Now, again, I'm not against all those things, but... You know, the false teachers, that's what they were all about. They wanted it all. They wanted, that, you know, the prestige, the power. They wanted the, you know, the money. They wanted the things, and, and they were, you know, just taking and taking and taking. Jesus came to give. And what did he give us? Himself, right? He gave us himself. I quoted John 14, 6. He said he was the way, the truth, and what? The life. He didn't just say, you know, live it up now. He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you life. I'm going to give you my life. He gave us his life. I want to wrap it up with a quote by David Guzik, who, uh, you know, he's a commentator, he's a pastor, he's a teacher, and, and I, I respect him, and, and I like what he has to say here. He says, abundant life isn't an especially long life. Abundant life isn't an easy life. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. That's that's the abundant life that I think Jesus said I came to give you. That you would have life and you would have it more abundantly. Satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. Everything around us in our society screams you cannot be satisfied unless... Right? And you fill in the blank because every one of us, you know, gets hit by something differently unless you have or are or whatever. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. That's what people are going to see. That's what people are going to say, man, what is it that you have? There's something about your life that's different. There's something in you. What, what is it? Like, 
When you think about the Apostle Paul, right, um, I'm, I'm reading and delving into the book of Philippians. And can anybody tell me the key word of the book of Philippians? Joy. He talks about joy over and over and over again. This guy, Paul, had abundant life. But where was he when he was writing this book? He's in prison. He's in jail. He's, he's incarcerated. He's you know, t- you know, chained to guards. But he had abundant life. He had joy. He says, he says in that book, he said, there's no, nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. The greatest thing in all of life is knowing Jesus Christ. So abundant, exuberant life, that's what he came to give us. And and the truth of the matter is that if we belong to him, if we are one of his, if we have entered through Jesus, the gate, we've entered into the family of God, The truth of the matter is that this abundant life is already ours. But I guess the question we have to ask is, are we experiencing it? Or are we looking in the wrong place? Are we experiencing it? Are we looking in the wrong place? Abundant life. I came to give it to you, Jesus said. And we we can have it. Let's look in the right place, though. Where's that? Jesus. It's always about him. The Gospel of John points to Jesus over and over and over again. That's where it's found for you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, who it says in the next verse that, that he gave himself He laid down his life for the sheep, the good shepherd. Lord, these are good words, but in some ways they're hard words too because we we get so distracted, so off course trying to find love in all the wrong places, trying to find life in all the wrong places when it when it's something that you've given to us and it's yourself and, and, and a walk with you and peace and joy and love in the Holy Spirit. Abundant life, more abundant, super abundant, over and beyond just living in this world. Some of us, Lord, I know you know this, some of us have uh, crushing trials things that are just about to destroy us, can we have abundant life? And I think you'd say yes through Jesus. Some of us have physical problems. Some of us have emotional problems, maybe problems of the way we think. Can we have abundant life? Yes, we can. You came to give it to us, didn't you, Jesus? I pray even now as we stop and and take a time to think about where's our focus? Where's our energy? What are we going after? Paul said in Philippians, he, he was 
all out, pressing forward to the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, pressing towards Jesus himself. Forgive us, Lord, uh, you know, that we've, we've wandered, we've gone off and left behind our first love. We return to you right now. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes to the Father except through you. And so we, we confess you as our all in all today, our shepherd, our life, our love. Maybe there's some here today who have never surrendered, and you can do that today. You, you want to become one of his, you just open your heart and life, just say, Jesus, please, please come into my life. You gave your life on the cross for me. I accept that. I receive that. I trust in you. I believe in you today. October 6, 2019. Thank you, Jesus, for all you are and all that you will be for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, let's stand and sing one more song together, shall we?